Ladies and gentlemen, you are tuned into another episode of the Paul Leslie Hour. And now your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm glad you're here. Hello and welcome. This is a special edition of the Paul Leslie Hour. It's going to be coming out every month, and it's a somewhat in-depth discussion about the singer, songwriter, pianist, and recording artist Billy Joel. I believe Billy Joel to be one of the most important American recording artists. He sold more than 150 million records since his debut in 1971. And on this series, it's going to be called It's Still Billy Joel to Me. I'll be joined in each episode of this series with a music reviewer. He's reviewed more than 100 albums. He's a writer, musician, a classically trained pianist, Jason Burge. He's also an enormous fan of Billy Joel. Here's the concept. On each episode, we'll discuss in chronological order all of Billy Joel's studio records. It starts with Cold Spring Harbor, which came out in 1971. And the last studio album was the classical album Fantasies and Delusions that came out in 2001. So it's going to be a 13-part look at all of the albums. There are many Billy Joel podcasts, but this series is ours. How are things, Jason? Great, Paul. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So how do you greet this series that we're doing? How do you feel about this now that we've started? Very, very excited. I I know a lot of Billy Joel. I grew up with it, but I've always wanted to go back and sort of start at the beginning and listen to every song. So I was, was thrilled to be able to do it. So where does your Billy Joel story begin? How did you become the fan that you are? You know, I've loved Billy Joel about as long as I can remember loving music. Uh, I've been playing piano since I was six, so it was really easy to appreciate right away. Although I entered, you know, more into his career at a time he was experimenting with less piano-centric music and falling in love with a guitar and embracing bigger pop arrangements. The first real memory I have was going with my dad and buying the An Innocent Man album, which came out in 83. That means I was probably five or six, and he bought it for my mom, who loved Uptown Girl, and for the longest time, I think, and I remember that ridiculous video for Tell Her About It that was on all the time with it, it had a bear in it or something. Uh, <laughs> and I started getting into my own music. I remember I picked up Greatest Hits 1 and 2 from, I don't know, Columbia House or BMG, and I wore them out. They were my soundtrack to speech and debate in high school for years. I listened to him in between debate rounds, and I remember we'd sing River of Dreams on the bus going home from tournaments. I guess Billy Joel's uh, great music for thinking kids in high school. And I had sheet music for all uh, of these songs, and I play them on our old babe grand piano, and... I remember having those on CD, but I think that the first Billy album I brought properly was Stormfront because I remember having the tape. It's probably like 1990 and I'm 12 and I love We Didn't Start the Fire. Uh, that was huge. And I'm pretty sure it was always playing somewhere in the United States between 89 and 90. But then I had the experience of finding my first Billy Joel songs that weren't really radio hits like the Down Easter Alexa, which to this day remains one of my favorite songs of all time. Uh, and as a kid at, at that age, you know, sits, a special, uh, sits in a special place where I'm first starting to choose music that I like that the radio isn't choosing for me. 
and, and I picked up Greatest Hits 3, and then I randomly bought a used copy of like Glass Houses, where I found all for Lena. Wow. But really, my Billy Joel knowledge is lacking, or was going into this, even though I love his music, and I consider him one of my favorite artists, and one of the greatest songwriters of all time. I probably only knew maybe half of his songs up until this, though I knew those songs by heart, which is why I was really so excited to do a deep dive here. And I honestly, I feel a little guilty that I haven't done this before, especially since you and I have talked about it so many times. So now I will, I'll pick up on every reference and just so happy to be here. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. And yours, what's your, yeah, what's your past with it? Tell us about that. My Billy Joel adventure. I would say I got a love for Billy Joel for my parents. They were playing the greatest hits album all the time. My father growing up had a huge album collection and almost everything he had was classical music and some jazz. And the one kind of outlier, he didn't listen to rock music much anymore, even though in his youth he was a Led Zeppelin fan. But we had the Billy Joel album. And it kind of makes sense to me that somebody who really likes classical music and jazz music, the pop version of that or the the mainstream recording artist who most reflects that is Billy Joel. So I really, really enjoyed his music. His music is very, very listenable. And the fandom just kind of grew from there. I started getting into, like you, the deeper cuts, started identifying more as I went through life and had different life experiences. There's a Billy Joel song for every occasion. Absolutely. And we're going to be talking about a lot of things very frankly, I think, because this music can bring that out of you. It's one of the things about Billy Joel's music. There were certain parts of my life where I really, really was finding solace in Billy Joel's music, including going through depression and things like that. Billy Joel has been there. And I love his music. I think he is completely underrated, despite all of his accolades and his millions and millions of records sold. I think he's up there as one of the greatest American singer-songwriter recording artists of all time. So there's my Billy Joel story. And just to tell everybody about how this is going to work, each episode is going to do a deep dive on one of the albums. We're going to start in chronological order. The first album, we invite you to listen to the first album if you haven't already, Cold Spring Harbor. I'm sure some of you out there are thinking, I have that album. <laughs> I know the music. Get on with the show. But either way, we're glad to have you listening. It's The first album is... Cold Spring Harbor, produced by Artie Rip. It was recorded in July 1971 and was released November 1st, 1971. It's nine songs, one instrumental piece, so ten tracks in all. And uh, I figure we it's time. Let's get into it. Great. So, Jason, what do you think the songs on this album, what does it sound like to you? Who would you compare this? I know there's a variety of stuff, but... What do you hear in the music? Who would you compare it to? Well, there's a few influences here that you pick up, you know, going through these songs where he hasn't completely found his own style yet. I would say that she's got a way, you know, which he opens up with. And it's amazing that at his age that he's writing music that good and that deep at 22. But 
if you take the second track, you can make me free. It made, immediately made me think of the Beatles, Paul McCartney, or maybe even Queen. And I don't know if Billy was listening then, but it made me think of, of Freddie Mercury and the Beatles. And and then if you look at something like Turn Around, it made me think Southern Rock or made me think of Fogarty or maybe uh, the Allman Brothers. But by and large, these piano arrangements are, are not something that everyone attempted. And it's so piano centric, even though he hasn't completely hit his stride, it still sounds like Billy Joel and if slightly high because of the, of the production qualities. But, you know, that Nocturne, number nine, who puts a Nocturne on a pop record? And a Nocturne is not only a very distinct style of piano and very pretty, but it's also very difficult. And not every person, you know, who, who plays rock and roll piano is good enough to write, much less play a Nocturne. So it's still very, very Billy Joel to me. <laughs> and for, for you, I wanted to ask you this. And I know that this is this is pushing back a little bit before this album, but I didn't know that Billy had been in a band before this. And that was it was interesting to me because I thought he started off as a solo artist and this was his first recordings, but it wasn't. He and this actually it was fascinating to see that he had been in this progressive psychedelic band called The Hassles before he went solo and had two releases with United Artist Records. It's actually pretty good. And I, I was curious if you'd ever listened to it before, uh, meaning was, did you know he had music before this or was this your first Billy Joel ever? I had heard that album that you speak of. And uh, I did I did listen to a track here and there. But when we began preparing for this series, I listened to it from beginning to end. It's interesting. Definitely interesting. Raw, straight ahead rock and roll kind of almost slightly reminded me of the Almond Brothers band, which is interesting. Southern Rock, you, you said that phrase earlier. I think that Billy Joel could have easily gone in that direction of being in a, an acid rock band if he had wanted to. And I don't know if you, if you also knew that he made an album. A lot of people have really trashed this album, but Billy was also in a heavy metal band. And he made a record with a group called Attila. Did you hear that, Jason? I, yeah, I, I was aware of Attila too. And that actually loops into who was his, uh, his future wife, correct? I think so. Right. Or, or I think that her husband was in it. So that, that was, there was some drama there too, I think for him. But he certainly was experimenting quite a bit. And, you know, coming here where this is a very, you know, very much more piano centric, very pretty album. You've talked a couple of times with me about how if the production would have been different on this, that it would have been a very different experience for the listener and also Billy himself. And so I wanted to I wanted to you know hear a little bit more about your thoughts on that. That's interesting because, uh, you know, anybody can hear that. It's slightly off. Now, I've been told that if you go back and you listen to the vinyl as it came out, it was even more pronounced. And I think this album came out in the thick of the singer-songwriter movement, where it was all of these 
solo guitar players, usually guitar players, doing their own songs that they sang and they played the guitar. I feel like the mix-up, the mistake that was made in the production, if that hadn't have happened, this album would be recognized the same way the first James Taylor album came out, the first Jackson Brown album came out. I think that it would be regarded that way as a great, great singer-songwriter album. The one guy in America who was doing it on a piano instead of a guitar. And as far as how I think maybe that would have changed Billy Joel's path, that's really difficult to say. I know it caused him a lot of angst. There's a lot of... I think it still bothers him that his first shot, his first time making a record, something bad happens. That sucks. And I remember seeing a video, I think I saw this on YouTube, where Billy Joel was talking about the first album, Cold Spring Harbor. And the look on his face said it all. It was like, looking at it kind of caused him pain. But at the same time, I mean, Billy Joel has always been somebody who could use pain and use difficult emotions and channel that into work. So I would just say, I don't know what path it would have sent him down, but it's clear to me that he was going to be Billy Joel. He was going to be this great recording artist, no matter what. And this was maybe a rough start, but we still would have the Billy Joel we know today. Yeah, I think that the most jarring thing about it in my first listen was I didn't notice that apparently in this recording, it's a it's a semitone or two higher to which he thinks he sounds like a chipmunk. I I didn't notice that. I honestly just assumed that it was because he had spent so many time in bars that his voice just hadn't gotten as raspy. But it did stand out that the the first track she's got away sounded very different to me, and I realized that because I had listened to the Greatest Hits album so many times that he replaced this original recording on the Greatest Hits album with a Boston live uh, recording in, in 1980, which was what I always thought of. And I always heard that song. Hearing this was was quite different. And I immediately grabbed my wife and said, hey, you have to listen to this. And we both agreed that even though obviously, you know, production values aside, it, it's a little softer and it's a little sweeter. You know, you had 10 years that pass in between the the, the two recordings and it's interesting to listen to them back to back as a fan to hear how it was originally intended and then to to see the version that he chose to to put on the greatest hits album to represent what I think he believes is the essence of that song. Well, on the note of production and that kind of thing, Billy Joel has said that he wanted the album to be a little more stripped down. The producer Artie Rip, he wanted to add a lot of the you know, different things, the, the things that a lot of times people say sweeten up a recording, production values, that kind of thing. He said that he wanted to do something, uh, a, a few less takes. You know, he complained that the guy was making him do 15, 20 takes, and he just wanted to do maybe three or four and let it have a more raw or stripped down feeling to it. Do you think that these songs would have been better suited if it was presented in that more simple, maybe just piano vocal style? 
Very possibly. I understand that frustration. I did some recording on piano and trying to play the whole song through without any blip or anything before. I guess maybe recording was as high tech as it is now can be very frustrating and leave you feeling maybe like you've just got an exhausted version that's been finally finished. David Gilmore with Pink Floyd said that, you know, he would record all these guitar solos over and over and over again. And it would always be the first take you'd end up using where you've got, you know, just where you have the most energy and, and the most, you know, rawness to it. That said, you know, these aren't particularly frilly arrangements to begin with. So I'm, I'm in, it's interesting that because I would say that at least of anything I've listened to Billy Joel, these are the simplest recordings in terms of it's really just him and the piano. And there's a few other elements that come in here and there. But having listened to this, I don't know, maybe 12 or 15 times in the last few weeks, it, it still feels to me very much like a, a minimal effort that really just lets his voice and the piano take take over that, you know, I suppose it, it could have changed a bit, but I still think this is a pretty... I think it's a pretty fantastic album. I understand Billy being hard on himself, but it's extremely impressive for someone you're 21, 22 to record a record like this. Absolutely. And she's got a way. First song on a first release is just such an incredible piece. And I, I love it. But I was curious after you'd gone through this, is there a song on it that really stood out to you as one that's the hidden gem or maybe that might make it to your regular Billy Joel rotation that was sort of, you know, surprising. Yeah. You know, I had listened to this album a few months ago from beginning to end with headphones on. And I remember thinking like, wow, this is a kind of an overlooked album. Not many people have it on their radar, but there's a few songs that I think, Wow, this is a great song. The first one that comes to mind, You Can Make Me Free, which to me, vocally, it kind of seems like he was channeling Robert Plant a little bit, Led Zeppelin's Robert Plant. I think he really, I think that's a great song. That's that's one. And then you mentioned earlier Turnaround, and you were saying that you thought of it as a kind of a southern rock song. I would even take it a step further. To me, I thought it sounded like country music. It's, it's, yeah. it's, yeah, it seemed like country music. I thought that was a great song. I love the nocturne and I really, really, I, I know I'm listing a few here, but I think this album is, is really good. The last song on the album got to begin again. To me, it's like a kind of an epilogue and foreshadowing a little bit. I don't know if he knew he would have quite the career that he had. I don't know if he knew that he would sell 150 million records. Of course, how would he? (laughs) But those are the songs that I think really resonated with me that I think, okay, that's a solid song. What about you? Well, I think Tomorrow Is Today is the one that really grabbed me the most. And after having done some research I didn't realize at at first, but he wrote that song after his suicide attempt in 1970 when he was 21 years old and, you know, he drank furniture polish rather than bleach. He said he thought that the furniture polish would taste better. But, you know, this is a person who's gone through already by the time of their recording their first solo record as a very young man, a suicide attempt. And so it's extremely powerful. 
And I mean, and then, yeah, when you talk about Got to Begin Again, which the last song, I, I, I also like that one a lot. I mean, you've got a suicide attempt and then a person who's writing a song about starting their life over again after that at, at that extremely young age. I mean, it makes sense why he's such a good songwriter and how, how far his career could go, given the depth of emotion. Obviously, he had been dealing with at this time, especially for someone who had been really successful as a musician right from the beginning and very talented. And so, yeah, those those are the ones that stood out the most to me. They felt the most like what Billy would become. You know, you take a song like Falling of the Rain, it's very pretty and whimsical. And this it has a sort of innocent magic and simplicity that really isn't one of the things that you'd see survive much into his later work. But still, you know, incredible. He's really he's really showing off there and how good he is on the keys. But yeah, I would say those those are the ones that this stood out the most to me. And every uh, you can make me free. See, I got Freddie Mercury off that. It's interesting. You got Robert Plant, but he really goes up in the rafters singing there higher than he usually does. So that's that was pretty neat to see him just you know playing with styles. I could see that though when I think about about certain phrasings. I I could see Freddie Mercury also, which those two the only person I think of when I. Vocalists like Robert Plant, vocalists like Freddie Mercury, those two vice versa, those two guys are in a class of their own. But I can see what you, what you observed, what you heard there. You know, Billy Joel has said that this is embryonic Billy Joel, and I think he's a little bit dismissive of this album. What do you think about Billy Joel's debut? What do you think it says about him as an artist? Well, it certainly has some extremely mature songwriting in it. That's on display right away. He's able to move around in style sort of at will. He's he's showcasing how great of a piano player he is in terms of, you know, some very frilly pieces, but then he's also you know, showing off his classical talents and writing a nocturne. And then he's also able to write these very subdued pieces like She's Got Away or Why Judy Why. He's, it's, it's a mixed bag and it doesn't necessarily have a, a thematic tie through, but it's, it's as promising as you would get, you, you would guess it would be from, from Billy Joel. How did you feel about it? I think that. Already on this first album, you have an artist who is absolutely, completely unafraid to go anywhere. There's a lot of things that people would maybe try to censor. They would try to leave out on the very first album. He addresses the idea of suicide. You know, that's so I think it says about him that he is one of the most emotional songwriters and one of the most honest an honest man, you know? And so that that's that's kind of what I took away from it. I thought, wow, this is your debut to the world and you're willing to go there? Amazing. Yeah, and you you studied a lot of songwriters. And so I guess if you heard this and had no idea who it was, out of context and out of time, how how experienced would you think that this songwriter is? You know, given, like I said, the, the amount of catalog you, you've done of of other songwriters. 
I would never think that this was their debut effort. The songs here, I mean, they seem like they're written by just a fantastic songwriter. Already, I mean, he was apparently born with this gift. It, it certainly seems that way. Uh, She's Got a Way is such a mature love song for someone so young. And I guess I keep coming back to how young he was when he was writing this stuff. And because I listen, I was listening to She's Got a Way when I was in high school and Billy Joel was already, you know, in his, you know, mid career coming toward the end of what his, you know, pop writing would be. And it none that it never sounded like a young song in the middle of all of the other songs that he wrote years later. But you know, on the note of songwriting, it's interesting to me that Billy Joel has said that he wrote this album not as a singer songwriter, but as a songwriter. He was thinking that this was going to be songs that potentially other artists would cover. With that said, could you imagine anybody doing these songs other than him? And what song? Like, what could you see anybody covering these songs, even maybe today? A couple. There, there's there's a couple here that aren't. Quite, you know, Billy Joel is so. His songs are so personal that he almost never needs to be covered unless he's doing something that's lighter weight. And there's one on Stormfront I'm forgetting that was a big country cover that worked out really well. But Shameless. Shameless, that was it. So if you look at Falling of the Rain, I could see someone covering that. Although when I was tr- I'm trying to think who would be able to play the piano well enough to do it, I'm not certain. But it could be it could be picked up by another artist who had excellent, you know, keyboard chops. Maybe Why Judy Why is simple enough that someone could pick it up, and that would be maybe more of a folk type of singer. Turnaround definitely could could be picked up by a southern rock or country recording artist. Although, you know, it's just hard to say who, like I said, kind of I mentioned before, like the Allman Brothers or someone like that from back in that time. It's so hard to think of anyone other than those type, that caliber of artist trying to take something like this and do something better with it. Especially given that, you know, it's rel- these are all relatively musically complex. They're not simple. They're not the simplest arrangements. He's, he's making a lot of key chains and he's working in a place where, you know, you, you definitely have to be able to keep up with them to, to be able to try covering one of these. What do you, what, what are you, what are your thoughts on that? I could see Adele doing a great interpretation of You Can Make Me Free. Definitely. And I would say, going back again to Turnaround, the right country singer, if they did it, there's not a lot of country singers around today that could really do a song like that, because it seems to me like country music is is, is running away from that kind of song. But I could see, potentially, somebody, the first person that comes to mind would be Willie Nelson. I could see him doing it. And then maybe somebody like George Strait. But I agree with you with what you were saying that frequently Billy Joel's songs are such that nobody can really do them quite like he can. Right. And, you know, 
not to get ahead of ourselves, but as I started going a little further ahead, I realized how much Billy obviously enjoys country or that type of music because it's so heavily on display in his next album, Piano Man. That he, he clearly has some sort of an enjoyment or love for the genre or he wouldn't, you know, have, have included so many, you know, later on, but though that seems like a, a very, uh, a, 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 something that he wanted to dabble with, but not stay with. Yeah, and on that note, I have to say, you know, it's worth going into a little bit. How about this cover, the the actual album, <laughs> this black and white picture? Yeah, yeah, the mustache. It's bold. <laughs> <laughs> he looks very pensive. He looks much older than he is. There's a very far away look there of, of a man who's who's walked many many miles. I don't know. Do you think he can? Do you think he can pull off the mustache? Because he didn't stay with it. Right. I, I have to say, he, he can pull it off. Billy, you got to bring it back. Bring back the mustache. <laughs> so, Jason, are you glad that you listened so closely to Cold Spring Harbor? Oh, absolutely. This is, it's really interesting to see where he came from, starting at the beginning and see how good the, he was where he started, but also, you know, like you see the dabbling with different styles. You see, you know, he hasn't quite made it to the height of his powers yet, but there's hints of it. And uh, really just a, a couple of new songs that I know that I will put into my Billy Joel Spotify playlist that I go to fairly regularly. And so that's, that's great. It's, uh, it's definitely been a, a great listen. And how about you? Absolutely. I'm I'm so glad that I got a chance to to dive deeper and really listen carefully because it's an example of wonderful songwriting from one of our great American artists. Great great album, recommended. And in the in the midst of his life, this is interesting as we're looking at both his career and his life that he I think that part of that look that he had when this was brought up has to do with not only production values he didn't like, but also kind of a bad deal that he signed with the producer of this for something like 10 records. And I think that not only was it just, I didn't like this particular album, but there was this probably looming sense that this problem was going to be a shadow over everything that he did afterwards and probably informs a little bit the tone and or where he would go after well put i'm sure i'm going to be saying that a lot on this series jason has an ability to put things that i simply don't have <laughs> but uh i hope everyone out there enjoyed this conversation that we had on billy joel including the casual billy joel fans and then those of you who are no doubt serious serious devoted fans we're going to do this again, so we'll see you next month, and we'll be taking a look at Piano Man, a more classic, more famous album from Billy Joel that came out in 1973. Jason, it's an honor to do this with you. Oh, and absolutely an honor to be here, Paul. Thank you so much. Till next time. Thank you for listening to the Paul Leslie Hour. Hosted, written, and produced by Paul Leslie. Intro theme song, Alexander's Ragtime Band, written by Irving Berlin, performed by Dan Barrett. Outro scatting G-Things, improvised, performed, and produced by John Goodwin. Until next time. Goodbye.